So good morning. Can I uh, add my welcome, uh, especially if you're a visitor, uh, do welcome you to our uh, gathering uh, this morning. I would uh, uh, encourage you also to hold on to those, uh, those four words. Uh, there's uh, um, certainly a couple of them really resonated in some things that uh, I want to mention this morning. I think that's actually uh, God uh, speaking to us. Uh, I'll draw back into those uh, as we get to the relevant part. So as Steve says, we're, we're continuing with our uh, look at the book of Galatians, this gospel of grace. Uh, we are still in chapter one, uh, which is the introduction. Uh, however, the, the, the content of this is so rich that to call it uh, an introduction almost kind of doesn't do it justice. There's great truths. You read any book and you get to the introduction. I don't know about you, when I read books, I tend not to read the introduction. I think, you know what, I'm going to skip into the content. I kind of know what the book's about. Don't, you know, Galatians, you don't do that. You don't start in chapter 2. You don't dismiss the introduction. There's some good stuff in there. So turn with me, please, to Galatians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're picking uh, this up uh, from verse uh, 11. This is Paul uh, talking to the churches at Galatia in that area. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Cyrene, Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing, it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the richness of this introduction. Pray that you would bless us uh, this morning as we unpack it. Galatians uh, is in many ways an innocuous little book buried between uh, Corinthians and Ephesians, both also written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and we might often think, well, you know, what is there in Galatians that his, uh, his far weightier tomes of Corinthians and Romans don't actually cover in more depth? Uh, because Paul does have uh, a particular theology, uh, themes that he keeps coming back to in his letters. The place of grace, uh, the place of law, our standing before God. And you might think, well, okay, if I want to understand that, we'll get into the deep stuff we're getting to Romans. I'm not quite sure what Galatians can add to the story. 
Um, But there is a richness uh, to this book. There is a reality to this book that is quite astounding. Uh, Some people actually find Galatians uh, a disturbing book, uh, a difficult book to read, because actually it seems to be so emotional. There seems to be such uh, direct language there. Right in this introduction, we were looking at this last week, Paul says to the church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you uh, to the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. He says uh, uh, in verse 20, he says, in what I am writing to you, I do not lie. It's in brackets there, if if you've got that in your Bibles. It's almost kind of... uh, uh, Almost an aside, but, but, it's, but it's actually not. It's not some sort of stage direction with a, with a quiet aside to stage left. You know, in this I do not lie. I, I see Paul shouting down the telephone or the first century equivalent of the telephone. I do not lie about this. Paul is serious. Paul is caught up in this. In chapter 3, we'll get to chapter 3 in, in, a, in some weeks to come. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Do any of we, I think we were talking last week about we don't tend to write letters very much these days. Uh, I do vaguely remember back in my school days doing English grammar and how you properly uh, format a letter. It starts with, dear sir, or dear madam. And if you write letters, you might still format in that, those in that way. You do not start, oh foolish person. That's not a letter that's going to be read with with very much gusto or very much acceptance. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's there's a language here that's very brutal, that's very real. Uh, Others find Galatians disturbing, not, not so much because of Paul's tone, but because of the subjects that he actually starts to touch here and to deal with. He deals with some some very difficult subjects. If you know the background, we we touched this before, the story that seems to be taking place here is some some people have come to the the churches here and said, if you want to be Christians, if you want to follow Jesus, that's fine. But, but, but you've got to follow follow the Jewish traditions. You've got to be part of your Jewish heritage. You've got to follow the, the Jewish dietary laws the Jewish hygiene laws. Oh, yes, of course you can be a Christian. Of course you can follow Jesus. Don't have any problems with that. But you've got to add this on. And you've got to add that on. And you've got to do that. It becomes a gospel plus something. And we've looked at so many times in the past how a gospel plus something is no gospel at all. And we might say, well, why make a big deal about this? So what? if they wanted to follow Jesus and follow some dietary regulations and follow some circumcision rules. Is that actually a big deal? Is that something to get excited about? Well, Paul says, yes, it is. Yes, it is, because that's not following the gospel. Paul's that clear about this. He's that direct about this. It's interesting, when uh, when Steve gave me this passage, when he first said, we're looking at Galatians, uh, you've got, you got one of the ones in chapter 1. I, I thought to myself rather foolishly, I know how this book goes. I thought, I know how Galatians starts. That's, that's the book where Paul says, uh, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. 
Actually, it doesn't say that. It says, I'm so astonished that you are deserting him. It's not a case of some theological, oh, let's add some stuff on and take some stuff off. And this Galatian church, they might need a little bit of counselling, a little bit of correcting, a little bit pushing back onto the right path. He says, no, you are deserting him. You are deserting Jesus. You are turning to a gospel that is no gospel. And Paul is very concerned about this. It's a very serious matter. He says, you are deserting Jesus. And that's not a comfortable thought for us as Christians because when we start to to see where that goes, we start to ask ourselves such questions as, can Christians walk away from Jesus? Can we walk away from our salvation? That's a very, very disturbing question. As, uh, as evangelical uh, Christians, we, we love verses such as Romans 8. Uh, we have that uh, on a fridge magnet. I walk past it every day on my lengthy journey down the corridor from the kitchen to my front door. I, there's not a lot in that corridor, but there is a fridge magnet with Romans 8. And I pass it. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you can indeed say amen at that point. And we love those fridge magnets. Because they're true. Nothing can separate us. But the reality is, the, the brutal, harsh, true Reality is, we know people that do seem to have turned away from the gospel. And we don't judge people. It's not our right or responsibility or job to judge people, to pass comment. But when we look at people's lives, we say, here are people that were walking with us or were walking with Christ, but now seem not to be doing that. I said these four pillars that we heard this morning are so important. I have John 15 down here that Richard was sharing earlier. Just a little bit on in that passage. But I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is what Richard was sharing. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, there are so many passages in Scripture that are conditional. If... If anybody does not abide with me, he's thrown into the fire and like a branch it withers. This reminds us to stay. It reminds us of our responsibility to abide and to remain and to keep attached to the branch that provides life. That is why this is a serious book with serious issues. There's a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews uh, Chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, talks about people there who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away. You see, often when we talk about that such tricky question, can Christians lose their salvation? We, we have some neat answers, 
And sometimes they're right answers, but they can also be neat answers. We say, oh yes, but they were never really saved. They never really fully accepted Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews talks about people who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted in the goodness of the word of God. If I can paraphrase that myself, people who have, dare I say it, preached and led worship and bought prophecy and been filled with the Holy Spirit and have now fallen away. See, I cannot read that passage simply as people that didn't quite fully accept the gospel. There is a reality that when we face difficulty, when we face hardship, every single one of us, and every single one of us will, we have two reactions. We can run to God or we can run from God. And the brutal reality is I know people, and I'm sure you know people, that when crisis has come, they have run from God. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Well, I think Steve answered it as best as anybody can last week when he said, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, (laughs) You're welcome. I love that answer. I made a note of that. No, because God will pursue us no matter what we do. God will not give up on us. God will chase us. But, But the truth here in Scripture is I can walk away from God. And that's why it's important that we abide with one another, why we correct one another, why we encourage one another, why we are one in a fellowship of many. That number's important, that we are united, that we are one, so that this does not happen. But this is the seriousness of what Paul is talking about. This is the seriousness of where he is at. You see, Paul, to use the phrase, has skin in the game here. He is involved in this Galatian church in a very, very personal way. And so when he sees people walking away from Christ, he cannot react in some abstract theological way. He cannot write Romans as some dissertation on the theological implications of law and grace. No, he's involved here. I am astonished that you are deserting him who called you to a gospel that is no gospel. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And I think Paul is actually also writing to himself because Paul is going through a crisis here. Because here is a church that just 18 months ago he planted. Here's a church where he preached, he saw the Holy Spirit fill people. He saw elders appointed to lead that church. He saw people moving on with God and he sees that starting to unravel. And I think any person, any human person would say, hey, this is a crisis in my confidence. Did I get this wrong? Did I do this in my own strength? Was there something else that I should have done? And so Paul needs to write this letter to to redirect himself, to affirm to himself that he is on the right path. I haven't actually got to my passage yet. I'm still recapping on last week, so apologies for that. I do have three points, and we are getting to them. (laughs) But you cannot divorce verses 11 to 25 from the verses that we looked at last week. Because this is the background. 
This is the seriousness of what Paul sees happening. <clears throat> that passage in Hebrews is actually a very frightening passage. I didn't continue on with what it says there. Because the passage, if you read it, it says it seems almost impossible to reach people that have walked away from God. That's very scary. And that's why we have to affirm it's a yes and it's a no and it's a no God never gives up on us. But in our human strength, how do you reach somebody that has rejected all of the goodness and all of the riches? How do you reach somebody that has absorbed the Holy Spirit and then said, no, actually, that's not for me. What do you do? It's actually easier to reach those who have never accepted the gospel. Your friends and family out there that have never been to this building, have never been involved in Christian worship, it's a simple answer. Come and see the risen God. Come and see worship. Come and see something that will amaze and astound and inspire you. What do you say for people that have done that and said, no thanks? Come along on a Sunday morning. I did that. Come along and see the power of the Holy Spirit. I've done that. Come along and see God speaking directly into people's life. I've heard that. Do you see how this becomes hard in our human strength? And the writer to Hebrews, when you read that word and you see that word impossible, that's an impossible in our human understanding. We have to affirm again and again that God doesn't give up on anybody in any circumstances for any amount of time. But Paul is faced, Paul, the great apostle Paul, is faced with this impossible human task. How do I reach people that seem to be turning away from the very truth that I preached here to them just a few months earlier? And that's where we get to verse 11 to 25. Because this is all Paul can find to do. He declares his testimony. He does not write a theological treatise. He does not publish a book. He does not go on a, an extended preaching tour back to the churches in Galatia, although I'm sure he would love to do that. No, he directs them to his story. And says, let me remind you of my calling. And so as we look in verses 11 to 25, I have my traditional three points for you. Three things that Paul would say about this gospel. First thing is in verse 11. This is a spiritual gospel, not a human gospel. For I would have you know, brothers, that this gospel was preached that this gospel that's preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man. You see, we all have a set of beliefs that will govern how we act. I trust for, for many, many of us, this book guides and directs our thinking and our actions. But we have many voices, many other voices around us, friends, family, work colleagues, what we see, what we read, how we spend our time, these will become voices that speak into our lives. These, in a sense, are human gospels. These are human thought patterns. These are human ideas. 
And they will compete against the true gospel. And so Paul makes this point. Whatever else you might turn to, whatever else might seem attractive, it's human wisdom, it's human understanding, it's human truth, it's not the everlasting living gospel. We have a a wonderful uh, phrase that seems to have emerged in uh, in recent years, uh, fake news, fake news. If you go back 10 years and something that was wrong was described as something that's wrong. Something that wasn't true was described as a lie. It kind of made life simple. Now we have this thing called fake news. Truth is actually what you want it to be. Truth is what other people can convince you is true even if it isn't. I don't know how many of you have, uh, have read uh, George Orwell's a, a famous novel, 1984, one of the great science fiction novels of all time, where he portrayed a, a future world of the Ministry of Truth, which was anything but the Ministry of Truth, where uh, the very countries that a nation was at war at were changed by a typewriter. Uh, pressing. It's a book written in 1948, so we had typewriters and not word processors. But the very country that you're at war at was changed with the press of a key. The very allies, the nations that you were allied with, was changed by the press of a key. For 1948, that must have seemed outrageous. Gosh, doesn't it seem very true these days? When you look at your news, when you hear things, you think, what is true? What is fake news? What is here one day, gone the next, or or here one day and different the next? That's human wisdom. And Paul says, hey, why exchange something which is a lie? Or why exchange something which is true for a lie? Why exchange something which is permanent for something temporary? Oh, it's a spiritual gospel. It's not a human gospel. Turning away uh, from this. Paul reminds his readers and himself that they have come to so much more than what we see with our eyes and our senses. I thought it was really good that Chris said, yeah, there are, there are four physical corners to this room. Hey, we were talking about something else than four physical corners, weren't we? There's a spiritual dimension. Again, in Hebrews, uh, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness and gloom and tempest, The sound of trumpet. The writer there was talking to to his readers about the physical way that they would come to worship in the Old Covenant. You you went to a physical place. You went to a mountain. It was scary, but you went to a physical place. He says, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, when we come in of a morning to worship here, what do you see? Do you see four walls? Do you see a building? A nice building. Nicely painted walls. Uh, I remember some years ago, my daughter painting, I think it's about that patch over there. 
uh, with a paint roller in her hand that was taller than she was at the time. But do we come to a physical building because paint pills, buildings crumble, memories fade? That's human wisdom. See, we come to so much more. We come to a spiritual gospel. And Paul says what Paul is reminding his readers of. What you are leaving behind is so much. Is that really what you want to do? Is that really what you want to leave behind? Secondly, this gospel is revealed. It's not taught. Verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul knows all about learning. Paul knows all about being taught. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish teachers of all time. He says in this passage, as he tells his story, I was more zealous than anybody else. I was advancing beyond those of my age. Paul knows all about studying and learning and Old Testament law. And we quite rightly put value in human learning. And my son John, we've just said goodbye to him as he went back to university after Christmas to uh, finish off his master's degree in in mathematics. Uh, I think as he went out the door, I didn't say... uh, Don't worry about doing your work. When you sit your exams, the answers will be revealed to you. I don't think I said that. I don't think I said something, and actually because it's uni, it's more like, don't worry about your dissertation. I'm sure the words will just appear on the page. No, I think we said to him, study hard. Listen to your teachers. Do your homework. I'm pretty sure that any of you with with children, any of you guys over here, I'm pretty sure your parents have said something to you, so don't misquote me on that one. Oh yeah, Ken said it would all come good on the day. No, no, you study, you revise, you do your work. We put value in human learning and human understanding. Uh, But that only takes us so far. Because God reveals stuff to us. God makes his truth known to us. Because, let's, let's, let's be, again, be brutally honest this morning. Some people are better at learning than others. Some people are more academically gifted than others. And we don't want that to be a barrier. And that must never be a barrier to the true gospel of God. This gospel reaches everybody. Whether you're academically off to uni or whether you are not whether school has good memories for you, whether school has bad memories for you, this gospel speaks to us, not in human terms, not in human learning terms, but it is revealed. God makes his truth uh, known to us. Uh, Valentina and I were just yesterday evening, we were with some of the guys from Everyday Church Online. Uh, Valentina, for the last 18 months, has been working with uh, broadcasting Russian services, and we, we kind of met up, as, as most folks do, for a rather late Christmas do. Easier to do it after Christmas. But, but Darren, who leads the uh, English online church, told us a wonderful story. 
he said that uh, for their New Year service, their January the 1st sermon, uh, they didn't actually preach a sermon. What he did was he went back over all the stuff they'd done over the previous year, reminded people of what they'd been looking at. He said, in hindsight, it was an incredibly dry thing to say. Because it was, do you remember in the past year, and we could do this for ourselves here, I could say, and say, do you remember back in the spring we were looking at the healings of Christ? We had a whole series on that, and that was really good. Uh, and then we moved on into, uh, well, we, we were doing the series on Galatians, but what else? I'll see, I've forgotten it myself. Um, but, but we went through all the stuff that we'd done. Oh, we had, some, we had an Advent season where we looked at Jesus being the light. Uh, and then we did this. Uh, and he actually said, I did this actually very boring talk that did nothing but just tell people what we'd done the last year. And he said, then I got to the end, and I thought, well, every time, every time we preach, when we end, we ask, does anybody want to become a Christian? And he said, I suppose I ought to do that now. Even though there's been no word opened up, no word expounded, no truth said. He said, and he made that appeal. And he said, more people responded to the gospel on that Sunday than on any other service, when he simply says, I'm going to read out a list of contents of what we've done. You see, God doesn't react, or we don't react, or God doesn't speak to us with human voices and with human wisdom and human learning that would say, if you haven't taught them something, they won't get the point. God says, if we're silent, you'll get the point. Um, if we, if Steve, I, the other guys that were up here, if we didn't do this anymore, that, that's actually not a suggestion, so don't clap at that point, but if we didn't do this anymore, the truth would still be revealed. God would still speak. I was amazed as a teenager uh, reading uh, um, a book by a Chinese Christian, Watchman Nee, Sit, Walk, Stand. It's a remarkable uh, exposition of Ephesians. Uh, and I was astounded to realise that for the last 20 years of his life, he had been imprisoned in solitary confinement. No contact with other Christians, no, no stuff to read. But God had spoken to him, and he had written one of the most profound expositions of Ephesians. <laughs> so Paul is saying to his readers, this truth, this gospel, comes to you through revelation and not through human understanding. I must rush on. My last point. This gospel inspires and motivates rather than simply asks us to conform. I should uh, warn you at this point, the uh, passage I'm reading is verses 11 to 25. I have done verses 11 to 12. It has taken me 30 minutes to do that. You can do the math of how long it's going to take us to get to the end. No, I have this last point that does cover verses 13 to 25, so fear not your Sunday dinner is safe. But this last point is actually very strange. I want to do a little exercise with you. I want you to almost forget what you've just read. And I want to point you and try not to look ahead to what comes next. But I want you to do a little exercise called join the dots. And I do this sometimes when I'm reading scripture. How would you continue the passage when I get to the point where I stop? Okay? We're going to do this. So we're going to look at this. So Paul, in uh, verses, where are we? Verses 13. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so verse, verse 15. Here we go. But when he who'd set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Dot, dot, dot. What did Paul do? Paul said, I think I ought to enrol in the New Ground Academy because I need some teaching if I'm going to do this. Did Paul say, I think I'd better get on the first bus to Jerusalem and chat to some guys up there who know a little bit about this church planting thing? If you read on the passage, he doesn't do any of that. He kind of disappears off into the wilderness. And and when I read this, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I kind of get this. Because he seems to make this point of I purposely didn't talk to anybody. Now, Paul has been persecuting the church. In human sense, it would be perfectly natural for him to say, I need to get back on message with the leaders of the church. Um, As a group of churches, as as New Ground Churches, you're probably all aware that that it's very exciting as we plant churches in uh, Berlin, in Germany, and Maastricht in, uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, imagine, for instance, if a couple of guys got, got their heads together and said, Let, let's plant a church in Berlin, but let's not tell Dave Holden. Uh, that, that, yeah, we, we, let's keep it to... Uh, imagine Steve and Danny hopping on a plane over to Brazil, to the churches they're dealing with. Oh, yeah, but let's not tell the church about it. Well, that's not how we plant churches these days, is it? That's not what we do. We are accountable we talk to people, we're in relationship. So we, we know the danger of the lone gunman, the lone evangelist, the lone preacher. It, it seems to me Paul is missing his own advice here. I'm off in the wilderness preaching, church, uh, planting churches and making a point of saying I never actually got in contact with anybody who's involved in the game. And what's that all about? Well, I think it's, again, Paul speaking from his heart. I, I, forgive my imagination, I kind of have this picture that when Paul finally got to heaven, uh, uh, maybe Jesus himself took him aside and Paul said, yeah, maybe I should have talked to a few other guys, but go with me on that one, this is my weird and wacky imagination. But, but what I think is happening here is that Paul wants to demonstrate that with this gospel, with no human interaction or advice or consultation, you can go from church persecutor to church planter in one step. You can go from zero to hero in one step. And that doesn't happen in human wisdom and with human understanding. And Paul says, this is a gospel that inspired me to do that. You're turning back to a gospel that just asks you to conform to some old covenant laws, to some old covenant rules. Hey, anyone can do that. That's not very very inspiring. How about being a persecutor and becoming a planter in the space of a week when you've had a revelation of who the living God is? And so Paul, from his heart, is reaching out to these people and saying, that's what this gospel is. That's what this gospel is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Time has gone. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you for your enormous, incredible gospel. Thank you for this enormous, incredible book of which we are still only in the introduction. Uh, And I pray that we would use this to just reaffirm our standing with you, reaffirm our walk with you, uh, to declare again that, that there is no other gospel 
that we want to follow. There is no other path we want to tread. There is no other future we want to look for or look into. Lord, we're committed to all that you have for us, all you want to do with us, because this is the one true gospel. Hallelujah. Again, this morning, I said it, so we have to do it. If anybody here does not know this gospel, hey, if this has been new news to you, if you want to be part of this kingdom, if you want to accept this gospel, this Jesus Christ, then please come talk to to one of us as we close the meeting. If this morning you're somebody who's going through difficulties and hardships, thinking, hey, this is too much, this is too difficult. No, it's not. But do come and talk to somebody, come alongside somebody so that we can help you run to God and not run from God. If you're going through hardships this morning, then help is here. People will get alongside you uh, and pray with you.